John about 11 years ago through my son. He's a sweetheart. I met John in 1989, high school. I realized my mother and his mother went to school together, and he came to a new school, and I decided to friend him as we became friends. I realized he was probably the most athletic, artistic, talented, and gifted person I had actually ever met in my life. It's actually uh, a pretty funny, uh, very chatty person. Got an upbeat personality. Everybody knew him as Keyhole. Anything he put his mind to, that kid, that guy could do it. You know, musically, he could rap, he could freestyle, rap the whole time, you know, and make it sound good. I met John um, about six years ago. He was a great guy. Well, he was, uh, was kind of like part of the family, uh, you know, he grew up around us, you know, there and here in Albion, and, uh, you know, he was real close to my cousin, and, uh, so, yeah, we were, we were kind of close. That man can draw. This guy could draw anything, and he could draw anything. He was a rapper. I had the opportunity to be in the studio with him at times. I mean, he's, everything he's ever set his mind to, I think he's always accomplished from the time he was young. Very super intelligent. No, no, it was just, just vivid memories, you know, like him coming over my cousins, you know, and him being on his bike, you know, doing, you know, he was real good at uh, tr doing tricks on the bike when he was younger, and uh, he was pretty much outgoing. Uh, I know he uh, he was a good wrestler. He went to state for wrestling in high school. Uh, he took up BMX biking. He won championships doing that kind of stuff. Uh, he wanted to make a rap album. He started rapping, put out an album. I thought he was friendly, um, talkative. He, he, he seemed like a, you know, pretty nice guy. Good kid, you know, smart kid, you know, and, and very creative. I mean, his art skills are unbelievable. He's won uh, honorable mention at a Michigan State art contest. And a lot of the fact of that is, is they gave honorable mention probably due to the case, due to the, the charges he was in prison for. He probably should have had first place. Uh, wrestling, he was a wonderful BMX bike rider, a freestyle trick you know, on a, on a bicycle. It's amazing, kind of, because it's like, he knows a lot, and he's always, I don't know what the word, compassionate, but yet, at the same time, he's going to tell it like it is. He's there for you. If, if you need a friend, John is a friend to get, because he'll be there for you. I consider John one of my sons. I mean, he, like I said, he could do he could do anything. Anything that he wanted to do, he could do. I know that if he, if he wasn't incarcerated right now, he'd be a millionaire by now. I already know that, without a doubt about we the jury find the defendant, John Ortiz Beadle, guilty of first degree premeditating. <laughs> Hello, this is a prepaid debit call from John Kehoe. An inmate at the Michigan Department of Corrections, Muskegon Correctional Facility.
For 20 years, I was silenced by the concrete walls and razor wire that surrounds me. And for 20 years, the media ran with the one-sided version of this case, a version that is full of distorted evidence and outright lies. They gave you sensational headlines, but me, I'm giving you the truth. Previously, on Creating a Cannibal, Rose Liner was reported missing, and for two and a half years, Bill Brown was the main suspect in her disappearance. To save himself from being charged with murder, he pointed the finger at me. For his cooperation, Bill Brown got a deal, and the former Ingham County prosecutor, Donald Martin, tried to use the case to further his own political ambition. Together, they crafted a gruesome story, and the media obediently pushed it for them. But after Donald Martin lost his re-election, and therefore lost his job as Ingham County prosecutor, Donald Martin lost all interest in the case. The Calhoun County Prosecutor's Office was left holding the ball. It was now their job to win a conviction for a crime the former Ingham County Prosecutor created. The Calhoun County Prosecutor's Office was left holding the ball. It was now their job to win a conviction for a crime the former Ingham County Prosecutor created. The weight of ensuring that conviction fell on the shoulders of Assistant Prosecutor John Kelsey and he chose to proceed with the case as it stood. This is Creating a Cannibal, Episode 2, Presumed Guilty. Jury selection for John Ortiz Quijo's trial was scheduled to begin on March 18, 1997. Representing John Ortiz Quijo would be defense attorney Jerome Sabota. On behalf of the Calhoun County Prosecutor's Office, Assistant Prosecutor John Kelsey was in charge of securing a conviction. Although, for the prosecution, winning the case was not going to be an easy task. There was no body to perform an autopsy on, or physical evidence to prove how Ms. Larner died. If Ms. Larner was murdered, the one drop of blood found at the crime scene, would not establish who killed her. And above all else, the prosecution's only eyewitness was Bill Brown, an admitted accomplice who was originally suspected as being responsible for Ms. Larner's death. Assistant Prosecutor John Kelsey knew, that based solely on the facts of the case alone, it would be impossible to prove that John Ortiz Quijote was guilty of murder beyond a reasonable doubt. Therefore, Assistant Prosecutor John Kelsey would need to influence the jury, outside of the legal constraints of the courtroom. On March 17, the day before jury selection began, Calhoun County's most influential newspaper, the Battle Creek Inquirer, ran a two-page story, slamming John Ortiz Quijote. The one-sided story was the newspaper's attempt at poisoning the minds of potential jurors. The real question however, was if the Battle Creek Inquirer ran the two-page story, at the behest of the Calhoun County Prosecutor's Office. The following day, when jury selection began, nearly every potential juror acknowledged reading the two-page article, featured in the Battle Creek Inquirer. Several potential jurors even admitted they believed, that John Ortiz Quijote committed the horrific crime, and his trial was a mere technicality. John Ortiz Quijote was presumed to be guilty, before the trial even began. As a result of several jurors stating that their opinion of John Ortiz Quijote, had been affected by the media's coverage of the case, 
Judge Stephen B. Miller called for an off-the-record meeting in his chambers. Once inside of Judge Miller's office, Attorney Jerome Sabota and Assistant Prosecutor John Kelsey debated whether a change of venue was necessary. Therefore, the trial would stay in Calhoun County. Immediately after the first day of jury selection was concluded, Assistant Prosecutor Kelsey addressed the media in front of the courthouse. The prosecutor claimed that he was shocked by John's appearance. Assistant Prosecutor Kelsey then told reporters that before John was on trial, he looked like a Mexican gangster rapper. Now, the prosecutor said, John Ortiz Quijote looks like a college student going to a job interview. Using the media to demonize John, was a tactic assistant prosecutor Kelsey employed for the duration of John's trail. Without an order from Judge Miller to sequester the jury, there was no way for the defense to keep jurors from being influenced, by the statements assistant prosecutor Kelsey made outside of the courtroom. On the second day of jury selection, both the prosecution and the defense, continued to pick their way through a long line of potential jurors. Ultimately, a jury was assembled, and of the 14 jurors selected to hear the case, only one Hispanic juror made the cut. Before the court was convened for the night, Judge Miller allowed the prosecutor to address the jury one last time. In a blatant affront to the virtue of blind justice, Assistant Prosecutor Kelsey attacked John's courtroom appearance. He looks nice and clean. The prosecutor told the jury. Well dressed. He added. Assistant Prosecutor Kelsey then used a slide projector, to cast a giant photographed mug shot of John onto the courtroom wall. The image accentuated John's summer brown face, a stark contrast from the fair-skinned defendant, sitting in front of the jury. Defense attorney Sabota, objected to the prosecutor's use of the racially charged mug shot. However, Judge Miller overruled attorney Sabota's objection. Did the prosecutor use the mug shot, for the sole purpose of highlighting John's Mexican heritage? Assistant Prosecutor Kelsey cannot argue, that he used the mug shot for the purpose of identification, because there was no issue of John's identity in the prosecutor's case. Every accusing witness knew John personally. Furthermore, the crime in question occurred in 1993, and the mug shot was taken in 1995, when John was arrested for driving without a license. Therefore, the picture was not an accurate representation of John's appearance at the time in question. In addition to the racial overtone of the photograph, the mug shot also led the jury to believe that John had a criminal record. When at the time of John's trial, his criminal record was spotless. After attacking John's appearance, Assistant Prosecutor Kelsey finished by telling the jury, it was their civic duty to ensure that someone be held accountable for Ms. Larner's death. You have two choices. He said. You must find John Ortiz Quijote guilty of this horrible crime, or you will allow both men to walk free. That following morning, on March 20, 1997, John's trial began. Was a fair trial even possible? when nearly every juror admitted that their view of the case was definitely affected by the onslaught of negative publicity. Of course, each one of them insisted they would reach a verdict based solely on the evidence presented at trial and dismiss what they had seen on the news or read in the paper. 
But honestly, do you think they forgot? And do you think those jurors didn't continue to watch the news or read the paper once they left the courtroom? People believe what the media tells them. And during my trial, the media loyally reported all of that garbage the prosecutor fed them. Prosecutors know how to game the system. That's why they hold those press conferences where they can make false accusations they'll never have to prove. Otherwise, they just let the evidence presented at trial speak for itself. So I'll tell you like I told myself then, the fix was in. Next time, in episode three, all rise, the trial begins. Finally culminating in the trial of her accused killer, John Ortiz Kehoe, assistant prosecutor Kelsey addressed the jury, admitting that investigators were unable to solve the case, promised to provide proof of every necessary element to find John guilty. Prosecutor Kelsey called his first witness to the stand. Thank you for listening to Creating a Cannibal, an Amazon production. Make sure you follow me on social media and check out my blog for a more in-depth look at how I was framed. Creating a Cannibal is a podcast produced under Emerald Productions. Gerardo G. Gonzalez Jr., Robert D. Tab, and Lucas Sampson are editorial advisors. Emerald Santos, our executive producer and the one who mixed our show. Our theme music are Shot Me Down, composed by Audio Vinger, and Freedom Drops, composed by Ari De Niro. Our website is creatingacannibal.wordpress.com. Special thanks to Mr. John Ortiz Kehoe for sharing his side of story. Also visit John's blog website where you can see documents from the case. John Ortiz-Kehoe.blogspot.com.